all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason, you. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. You're listening to a podcast of Relatively Speaking on MPB Think Radio. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Good morning, and thanks for listening. This is Relatively Speaking, the show all about you and your family. I'm Dr. Susan Buttress, Professor of Pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. When a diagnosis is given that's life-threatening or maybe life-altering, it's tough to handle. Often what helps to soften the blow for anyone is to have the love and the support the hugs and the circling of that family and close friends, what they often do. The ability to be surrounded by family and certainly friends has been limited due to COVID-19. Not only that, but seeking a diagnosis or treatment for a scary illness has also been limited. That unexplained weight loss, the fatigue that won't go away, the heaviness in your chest are all symptoms that may be ignored due to the fears about exposure to coronavirus, COVID-19. So today I want to talk about how do we navigate through that? How do we make sure that as we continue to deal with COVID-19 and knowing that we need to take caution and be careful and not have exposure to others who perhaps have the disease, how do we still make sure, one, that we seek diagnosis or treatment of something that could be either prevented from becoming deadly or prolong life prolonging. How do you do that? How do you make yourself step through that? Um, the other piece I want to talk about is once you do have a diagnosis and you need help and support, how do you step through what's actually a grief process of working through um, things without the circling support? Or is there a way? to circle the wagons around you for support or for someone you love. So my question to you, listeners, is have you or someone that you love dealt with a cancer diagnosis or a life-threatening diagnosis now during COVID-19 since March um, of this year, so many months, or um, have you dealt with a diagnosis before? I'd really love to hear how you have been able to navigate through things. Um, and today, we actually do have a, an individual who has been dealt a difficult diagnosis, and she'll talk with us later in the show about how how she's dealt with it, and where she got her support. So I want you to give us a call 
at 1-877-MPB-RING, that's 877-672-7464, or you can send an email to family at mpbonline.org to join the conversation. I really do want to hear what's going on in your life because you so often add so much to the show. Um, and and also, I think that if you can tell others uh, what your experiences have been, if you have been one of those individuals who have had a difficult diagnosis to deal with, it may not be cancer. It might be another um, issue, renal failure, diabetes, those life-altering diagnoses that sometimes cause a grief response, the denial piece, and, you know, the the bargaining and the difficulty with dealing with it. And we can talk about how stepping through that grief response is necessary as you're trying to deal with a difficult diagnosis during these trying times. So, you know, delivering care for patients, certainly with cancer or any other significant diagnosis, has been challenging to the healthcare professionals, uh, not just at UMMC, but but across the nation, across the world, actually. Um, and you know, the the lethality of COVID nineteen in people who are already sick is higher. We all know that, but Obviously, the the danger of delaying treatment for for a disorder of de, de, or delaying the diagnosis for a disorder because of the fear of contracting COVID nineteen is also a very dangerous thing. And so, uh, as we step through, uh, you know, we know we know. Um, that people have delayed going in for wellness checks, for going in for immunizations, whether it's a child or an adult. We know that individuals who have ignored perhaps chronic constipation problems that were never there, or this funny feeling in their chest that seems new, or this chronic headache that won't go away, or some other change in their physical well-being. Um, many are ignoring that now for fear of going into um, a physician. And, and I'm, I'm here to talk to you today about how we've got to stop that. We have got to take good care of our health. Um, that's one thing. But also, I want to talk about the now difficulty in getting the support that individuals need um, when they have had a diagnosis. So I, I'd, I'd really love to hear from you about whether or not you think that circling of friends or family has changed significantly, or perhaps um, if if maybe you feel like it's been the same, maybe there hasn't been a difference at all. So, so either way, um, give us a call. I'd love to hear from you. Um, you know, there are so many um, issues that that 
particularly primary care doctors are dealing with um, as far as trying to make sure they're taking good care of their patients and that they're getting their patients in. Some of you may even feel a little bit harassed by phone calls that you're getting from your primary care providers about the, the need to come in. But some of you may have felt a bit put off or a pushback um, when you've been shifted to telephone triage or perhaps video consultations. Um, so if you feel like that there are times when things are not being addressed as they need to be, I'd like to encourage you to reach out to your primary care provider and let them know that perhaps maybe you do need to be seen face-to-face, -face. perhaps that the significance of what going what is going on needs to be addressed a little bit differently. It's okay to ask for help when you think you need it. Um, I think what we're going to do is go ahead and take a break now. And when we come back, I want to hear from you about how you have dealt with difficult diagnoses. And when we come back, we'll also talk with Susan Perkins, who has a story to tell about her diagnosis. This is Relatively Speaking, and we'll be right back. The entire foundation of your child's brain is being built in the first five years of life. This construction is strengthened through the child's interactions with others. Hi, I'm Dr. Susan Buttress. The good news is you have what it takes to be a brain builder. Learn more at MississippiThrive.com. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Welcome back and thanks for listening. This is Relatively Speaking. I'm Dr. Susan Buttress. And today we're talking about getting an unexpected diagnosis that can flip your life upside down. One day you're strong and the next day you're stopped in your tracks. Then you have to evaluate treatment options and you think how this will affect you, your job, your family, your finances. So how do you move through that? How do you move forward? Because if you don't move forward, it can affect your recovery, your long-term outcome, relationships with family and friends. And so we'll talk about how to move forward um, during COVID-19 and how to gain the support that we all need while we're trying to navigate through something like this. We'd love for you to join in our conversation. Give us a call at 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 
7464, or you can send an email to family at mpbonline.org. So um, I'm excited to have a wonderful lady who's, who's been kind enough to give us a call and talk to us a little bit about her, her relatively new diagnosis, Susan Perkins. Hi, Susan. Thanks for calling today. Hi. Thanks for having me on the show. So, Susan, we've not met, um, but I understand that you were given a difficult diagnosis during COVID-19 and, and have had to navigate it maybe with not the quite the circling of friends and family that one would love to have during a difficult time. Why don't you talk to us a little bit about um, your diagnosis and then, then how you've moved along with this? Well, um, in March, I had gone in for my regular um, mammogram screening and I, you know, I had that done. I, I did the, um, the 3D in case anyone's curious about that, but I went ahead and did that. Everything at that point, it was early in March. It was, everything was still pre-COVID, pretty normal. Um, by the time I got, I got a call back saying that I needed to go in for more, you know, additional screening and I made the appointment for that. And when I went in for that, things at the hospitals and the clinics, they started um, going into COVID mode. You could not have, um, you couldn't have anyone with you at your appointments. They were, you know, checking temperatures at the door, uh, that sort of thing. So I had gone in, I did my second screening, you know, the, the additional tests. And it was on a Friday, and I and the the doctor had come in and talked to me, and you know he said, well, you know we had found you know some an area of you know a suspicion that we really need to biopsy, and this was on a Friday, and he's like, I really think you know if you could come in on Monday, and have the biopsy, um, because we don't know if we're going to be shut down or not, we don't know if the clinic's going to remain. This is an imaging center, and he's like, I don't know if we're going to remain open, you know without knowing what's going to happen with um, COVID-19. So he right. called my doctor on his cell phone, got the appointment made. And I it was, you know, on a Friday afternoon, I was coming back in on a Monday for a biopsy. And at that point, they're like, you cannot have anybody with you. You have to come on your own. So I had gone in for my biopsy. My husband actually drove me there and waited out in the parking lot. <laughs> but, um, you know, it's, it's scary, you know, going through something right. like that, not knowing if the result is going to be either. So, I did get a little sick during my, you know, the procedure, and they had to they walk me out to the vehicle where my husband was waiting for me. Thank goodness he was driving. Um, and probably about a week later, I got another phone call from my doctor saying that I had um, breast cancer, but it was um, it was very early stage. But still, you know, you hear that kind of diagnosis over the phone, and it, it's scary. It's very scary. Um, so from that point on, um, I made an appointment to see a, uh, a breast surgeon, a breast oncology surgeon. Um, they did let me have my husband with me in that appointment because we would be discussing treatment options. So he was able to go with me for that. But, I mean, just getting that call, um, and at that point, you know, we were already, you know, we were, my husband and I were both working from home. Um, we were... Um, already you know, kind of self-quarantining just you know with the uncertainty of everything going on um so we went to the appointment um at that point you know they're like well we recommend you go ahead and have um a partial mastectomy but with everything going on we have to get permission from the hospital 
in order to do your surgery. And so they said, I don't think there'll be any problem with that. But your option is you either go ahead and you can go ahead and have your surgery and continue your treatment. Or if you don't feel comfortable doing that because of COVID, then you can go ahead and take another option, which would have been um, tamoxifen, which is a, um, a pill form, a treatment that you usually do after everything else. So you can take that for six months and kind of wait it out and see what happens. Or if you want to go ahead and if you feel comfortable enough to have your surgery, you can go ahead and do that. So I went ahead and opted to do the surgery. I mean, nobody wants to, you know, stay with, with cancer in their body when they can do something about it. Right, so, um, right. I went ahead and, and I did the surgery and I have never, I'm 46 years old. I've never had any kind of surgery of any kind. I've never been under anesthesia. So it was very scary for me. Um, sure. knowing that I was going to go to the hospital and be prepped for this surgery and not have anybody there at my side. Um, they allowed me to have one person. My husband came in, they let him sit in the waiting room, but he didn't see me from the moment we walked in the door until after I was ready to go home. So, wow. um, well, so, um, Susan, I, uh, by the way, I like your first name. It's a nice one. <laughs> <laughs> It's a great name, um, isn't it? <laughs> it is a great name. <laughs> um, I, I wanted to just ask you a couple of questions about sure. the fact, you know, I'm, I'm from a large family and um, my family, whenever anything happens to anybody, it's sort of a whoosh. Everybody mm -hmm. just comes in, tries to take care, um, imparts help. Um some people with smaller families have friend groups like that who have friends who whoosh in for them. Did you, did you find it difficult or odd that, that, that friends or family wasn't able to come in? And, you know, one other thing I'm going to ask you about as I'm, I'm talking is that I know many times um, the spouse needs support because your husband was probably pretty devastated and terrified about the diagnosis himself. So he's supposed to be your only support structure there. I just wonder how all that fell out for you. Well, definitely under normal circumstances, I have, I have um, four brothers and I'm the youngest and I'm the only girl. <laughs> so I mean, I'm very close with my family. Um, my father is, um, he's 83 years old and I'm also a caregiver for him. But, um, so, but I see him, you know, regularly. I, I didn't have to isolate from him cause I see him all the time, but, uh, my brothers I hadn't seen. And normally, you know, they would have been there at the hospital when I had the surgery. Um, you know, we're one of those families that if there's someone going through something, then we all come together and we're there for support. Um, I do have um, a group of close friends that, you know, around where I live, and um, I've stayed in contact with them on the phone. I mean, we, we talked a lot about it, you know. So I had the support group there, but it was it was different. It wasn't the same as being able to go to lunch with your friends and talk about what you're feeling and what you're going through. Um, but we, we had to do that through the phone. <laughs> so it, it was a lot different. And, you know, and my husband... Um, it was hard on him too, you know, I mean, he was worried sick about, you know, what the outcome was going to be. Um, he's not from, he, his family lives in Maine. And so he, you know, he talked to them quite a bit on the phone about everything that was going on. But, you know, I think we were both scared, you know, a lot of sleepless nights waiting for that appointment with the surgeon 
to find out what was going to happen and, you know, and then getting through surgery and finding out, you know, did they get all the, you know, get everything at the surgery? Do I have to have another surgery? I mean, there was just a lot of, a lot of questions that under normal circumstances are scary enough, but when you don't, and I, I think it made a huge difference, you know, not having, um, you know, people there physically, but, you know, thanks to, you know, technology, you know, we, we, we were still able to connect with friends and family. Yeah. Yeah. Talk to us a little bit while we're talking about um, having a, a tough diagnosis um, during a tough time. Um, talk to us a little bit about what are the best things for people to say? when they call to check on you, are there things you would suggest that people not say? Or are there things that are very helpful for people to say? I know many struggle with this when something bad happens, when there's a significant illness or a death. Um, There's some things that sometimes people say out out of goodness, but it comes across so wrong. So Um, Talk to us a little bit about that, if you will. And I would, before I I have you answer, I'd really like to tell our listeners, that would be something good for you to call in too, if you've experienced difficulty, um, a death, a difficult diagnosis, and then people who are trying to be supportive, sometimes through the media or through a telephone call, which is different than being able to hold someone's hand when maybe they say something that they shouldn't or a better way to say it. So give us a call and join in at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one 672 7464 Susan, talk to us a little bit about your thoughts on that, if you will. Um, I can't really think of an example of anyone saying something that may have come across the wrong way. Um, I think some of the better things to, to say to someone, I mean, I had, I have a brother that lives in Georgia and he called me every day just to see how I was doing. You know, it wasn't no pressure or anything. Just like, Hey, how are you? You know, how are you feeling today? Um, if you need anything, you know, let me know. I mean, that sort of thing. It wasn't, you know, and my friends were the same way. I mean, they, we, we stayed in contact. I'd hear from some of them, some of them every day you know, wanting to know if I needed anything and, and just how I was doing. And I think, you know, just knowing that you have that group there that you, you know, in case you need them is, is such a comfort, you know, when you're going through something like that. And, um, and I know, you know, and I was, I was super close. I lost my mother three years ago and I was super close to her. And in your question, it makes me think of that, you know, losing somebody and, um, and I think, you know, in that, in that, especially in that situation, people don't know what to say. You know, what do you say to someone that's, you know, lost a loved one? You know, other than right. just, be there, just be there is, is mm-hmm. the thing, you know, that helped me the most. You know, not don't make light of it. You know, don't act like it's not a big deal because, it, <laughs> you know, it, it, it's, a, it's a big deal to that person. So that's, that's yeah. the best advice I can, can give in that situation. Yeah, I think during COVID that one of the difficult things, like you said, sometimes just being there, taking someone's hand, giving them a hug is as important as anything. And, you know, for a loss, certainly, I think it's okay to say, I don't know what to say, except I'm yeah. I'm sorry. You know, I'm sorry for your loss. Yeah. Uh, it 
And I think sometimes we try so hard to be creative about uh, mm -hmm. condolences or reassurance that, that our words come out incorrectly. Um, yeah, I would agree Susan, with that. I, um, again, I, I would love for our callers to come in and talk to us about some of the best things you feel like you've heard people say when they're trying mm -hmm. to comfort someone or support someone. So give us a call at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. So a couple of questions, Susan. Your first thoughts when you when you were diagnosed with breast cancer, did you have any negative thoughts or were you going, um, I can do this? Or tell us tell us how you faced it and then what kept your spirits up? What helped you navigate through this? Well, um, my first thoughts when I, you know, received a phone call from my doctor telling me, you know, what my diagnosis was and and I mean, I, I stayed calm on the phone, <laughs> you know, and still kind right. of in shock. And, you know, and, and she, she told me on the phone, she said, you know, it's, it's, it's early stage. And she said that I would be um, very um, diligent and, you know, in, in your treatment and, um, and do whatever it takes. And, and I, my question was, like, well, what does that mean? <laughs> what do you recommend? And she's like, well, I recommend surgery you know, probably radiation therapy and then um, taking some sort of uh, therapy till afterwards. Um, but she, she is not an oncologist. She said, you need to follow up with an oncologist and, and get your plan. So I hung up the phone with her and uh, my husband was working from home that day. And so I hung up the phone and I just, I went into where he was working and I was like, you know, I just got a phone call. They said that I have breast cancer and I just lost it. I just started crying. I didn't know, you know, it's just scary having to go yeah. through something like that. And once I calmed down, <laughs> you know, it was comforted. I was like, I started, you know, I called my brothers and let them know. I went over to see my dad and told him. I called my friends. I told everybody that I'm close to, that this is what's right. happening. Just to, you know, that's, and that's what I, I've always had a tendency to do that, no matter what's going on in my life. If there's some sort of, sort of crisis, I, you know, I rally my troops, <laughs> my, my friends and family. But um, after that, it, I started, you know, doing research on, you know, online, trying to read everything I can possibly read about, you know, my diagnosis and what to expect and um, and what what questions to ask my doctor when I go. And, and it was probably about a week um, waiting time before I was able to get in to see somebody to talk about what the treatment plan was going to be. And I remember, you know, leaving that appointment, and I know my husband and I, we both felt a lot better after no, yeah. having a plan in place. You know, this is what's yeah. going to happen, you know, and this is, yeah. you know, and they, and they did, you know, some genetic testing while I was there. So then you're like, oh, my gosh, what if I have that gene, you know, but I was fine with that. That came back okay. But, um, but yeah, I mean, it's, um, I mean, I guess the thing that, that got me through it is just the support of friends and family. I was working from home, mm -hmm. you know, anyway, so I was able to kind of try to do some work you know, from home and trying to keep my mind um, active and distracted from that um, in that way. Um, yeah. I think it would have been, if I had been going to work every day and, you know, if everything was normal, it probably would have been a little easier, you know, because mm -hmm. when you're at home, you got you know, a lot of, a lot of free time. You have a lot I, of downtime, right? Yeah. Right, you know, I tried to yeah. read and, you know, watch TV, just anything I could to try to, you know, distract myself. I mean, and, and you know, like, you can't go out 
you know, to restaurants or to shopping or anything like that, because everything at that point was, was closed except for essential businesses. Yeah, it's hard to distract yourself from something when you're always there. But it sounds like you did a lot of the right things. Um, listeners, I want you to call and tell us your experience. If you've ever dealt with cancer yourself, how did you navigate through it? Uh, give us a call at 877-MPP-RING. That's one 672 7464 Susan, I just want to tell you that you did a lot of the right things and um, when we take we're going to take our next break and when we come back I'll talk about some of the right things that you did as you were navigating um, through this and I know you still are so we're talking about how to deal with difficult diagnoses during trying times during this COVID-19. How do you how do you set up your support system and how do you deal with it? Um, we've got open lines. Join in. This is Relatively Speaking. I'm Dr. Susan Buttress and we'll be right back. Walker, the lady auto mechanic, host of AutoCorrect. Try my podcast, AutoCorrect. We help steer you in the right direction with your car problems. Find me on any podcast platform or at autocorrect.mpbonline.org. The entire foundation of your child's brain is being built in the first five years of life. This construction is strengthened through the child's interactions with others. Hi, I'm Dr. Susan Buttress. The good news is you have what it takes to be a brain builder. Learn more at MississippiThrive.com. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Welcome back, and thanks for listening. I'm Dr. Susan Buttress, and this is Relatively Speaking. Today, we're talking about how to move forward in the face of a difficult diagnosis, especially during this trying time. Um, we are also talking about um, a question I want to throw out to you listeners. Have you, have you tried to go and continue to address any kind of health concerns that you have? Because that is one problem that you can get into during this time is trying to avoid getting COVID-19 may make you neglect some areas in which you should not. So I just want this to be a reminder to everybody. Go in for those wellness checks. If your body is telling you that something is not right, answer your body's call. Do something about it. Get some help. Um, we've had a wonderful conversation with Susan Perkins. Um, Susan's from the coast, and she's been kind enough to share with us her issues around being diagnosed with breast cancer during COVID-19. And um, 
I want to talk to you about some of the things that can help you as you are moving forward in the face of a difficult diagnosis and and some of the things Susan did that she mentioned before the break. For any of you who missed the beginning of this show, it'll be on podcast. You can download your favorite podcast app and go to um, Southern Remedy, relatively speaking, and listen. So um, I just let me talk through some of the positive things that Susan did and that you should do. First of all, when you face a diagnosis, you should give yourself time to absorb the news. Um, You know, we talked earlier in the show about the fact that um, one often will have somewhat of a grief response. And the first thing is, is in, in the grief response often is just anger. Um, furious that um, it happened to you. Well, the very first thing typically is denial. Nope, not me. I can't have it. And then, then the anger comes after um, that, after the denial, after you work through that. And then bargaining, depression, acceptance. Now we can talk about all those um, later on, but I think for most who who get a diagnosis, not dealing with a death as much as a diagnosis, such as breast cancer, colon cancer, prostate cancer, whatever cancer, lung cancer, um, the just time to absorb the news and and make yourself process through it. Get a hold of your emotions. Now, the other thing that Susan did, she said at first she. She kind of stopped and um, and had a hard time believing it, cried over it, all normal responses. But then the next thing I heard Susan say, and I know, Susan, you're still there and you're welcome to jump in any time, is that she started creating a support system. Um, you know, sometimes the first instinct for people when they get a bad diagnosis is to say, I don't want anybody to know. I don't want um, anybody to know that that this bad thing happened to me. And that's probably not a good response. What you should do is reach out to others and say, this is happening to me, and start garnering your support system so that Susan had a brother who called her every day, or maybe he still does. But, you know, to have someone who is part of your support system, even now with COVID-19, even though you can't jump in an airplane and fly to check in someone, um, you can call, you can Skype, you can FaceTime, you can do so many things that we couldn't do a few years ago. So to reach out to family and friends and neighbors and let them know what's going on with you, don't just disappear because you'll miss out on a lot of the, the support that, that you can garner from this. And then educate yourself. I heard Susan say she started learning everything, talking to the doctor, making sure that she checked in um, to what was out there for her and the different options. And it's okay, by the way, to get a second opinion. And in fact, 
in my mind, if you have any doubts or if you're not sure of what direction to go into, any good, reputable doc is going to say, yes, sure, get a second opinion to make sure that you're navigating through. Um, Susan, I'm curious as to whether or not you you did look into a second opinion did, or did you feel pretty confident by going to the your primary care provider, then the breast surgeon, then the oncologist? Um, I felt pretty confident with the um, the breast surgeon, and shortly, I can't remember if it was before, I think it was right after surgery, I had gone and met with the radiation uh, oncologist and with the medical oncologist, So, but I felt pretty confident in, you know, the options that we went over and, and what, you know, what we decided to do. Yeah, and the honest truth is breast cancer is one of those areas um, in which there has been a lot of research and a lot of knowledge spread across. So unless it's something very complex, typically um, people are not um, losing time by going in, um, getting second opinions. But it's not a loss of time if you feel like you need um, further advice or, or further data for you to be able to understand what your treatment is. So I think, again, educating yourself, making sure that you've gotten um, all the information out there that you need. And then um, take a deep breath and try to not look so far ahead and start worrying about what what's going to happen five years from now. Um, look at how I am today and deal with the day and then start dealing with um, your planning for the week. Um, you know, obviously your life may not be exactly what you thought it was going to be right now, but to make yourself try to find a balance and make sure that if you're if you're finding a struggle in being positive and if the anxiety and fear are preventing you from either going to your treatment or going, opening up to your family, it may be that you need some professional help to have someone help you, you talk through this and, and to help you navigate. So again, listeners, I'd love for you to join in and tell us your experiences. We've got open lines at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's 877-672-7464. Jump in. Tell us about how you have dealt with things, um, how you have uh, been able to cope with your diagnosis. Um, Susan, Talk to us. I know that um, you and Michelle uh, had a connection, and um, she tells me that you have talked some about how important it is to make sure that you get you get an early diagnosis. And I, you said that you were you were lucky in that you obtained an early diagnosis, which an early diagnosis in almost anything, whether it's diabetes or kidney issues or whatever. Um, let's talk about your thoughts on early diagnosis and maybe you can give some advice to listeners out there. Well, I've always, I've always been good about going in for my, my annual mammograms. Uh, my mother had breast cancer, but she was 
like 70 years old when she was first diagnosed. And so I was not considered high risk myself because of her age, but I still, you know, I kept up with that. And, um, and I mentioned before, I mean, I had gone in and, you know, before they came out with the 3d mammogram, um, and had a regular mammogram and, and knowing that, you know, everybody's different and some people have denser tissues and need further testing. I've been called back before for further testing and there was nothing there. It was just, you know, this needed to another image. So when I was called back with the 3d mammogram, I thought, well, what good is that? <laughs> I was like, I thought there were right. callbacks. I mean, I, I mean, it was completely off my radar that anything could possibly be wrong. So, I mean, but with it being so early, I mean, I, I feel very fortunate. If I had waited, you know, if I was one, a person that didn't go in every year or went every three or four years or, or waited until I actually felt something, you know, then, you know, my treatment could have been a lot different and a lot worse. And the outcome may not have been as, as, as good. So, I mean, I encourage everybody to, to stay on top of that. And I think with, you know, my diagnosis, I, I've encouraged a lot of my friends and family to stay on top of it as well because, you know, they no one ever expected, you know, for me to have that kind of a diagnosis. So, and and you another know, thing I want to mention when we're talking about the support, having the support, um, I did do my radiation therapy after my surgery and I did 20 treatments and I drove, I live in Biloxi and I drove to Mobile every day because that's where my doctors were and, um, I, that's one thing I've called somebody every day on my way there and on my way back and talked about, you know, my experience. And, and that was a big help because um, yes. that just tires you out and you're yeah. exhausted, you know, physically and mentally. So, so yeah. So, and support yeah. Is very just important. garnering that support. That's so important. Well, we do have another caller. We have Heidi from Tennessee. Hi, Heidi. Thanks for calling. Hi, how are you? Doing great. Um, are you calling about a personal experience of your own? I am. Um, I uh, have been diagnosed with follicular lymphoma five years ago. And I wanted just to reiterate some of the things that some of the other people uh, said um, with regard to creating a support system. I think that was very important for me in the beginning because I felt very, very alone and no one to talk to within my family because people are afraid. So what I did mm -hmm. was I turned to Facebook and I found some uh, uh, posts and some areas on Facebook where I was able to um, uh, hook up with, with people that also have follicular lymphoma. And that was mm -hmm. very, very, very helpful to me. I even met friends on this Facebook page. That helped That's, me very, very much. Yes. And uh, another yeah. thing that I do that I do that helps me is I, I never shed a tear. I figured <clears throat> I figured I had to deal with it and move forward. And I'm grateful for every single day that I have had in these five years. And um I, I just look forward to, to enjoying my twenty four hours and I just take it slowly. Heidi, that's great advice. And I think, um, you know, it may be um, that it's interesting that that you you found your family. Were they just so terrified that they didn't even want to talk about it? And um, they were in denial. Was that where you were coming I, I, from? I think that sometimes people lack the skill set. We don't know how to talk mm -hmm. about this. We're not taught how to talk about illness and an illness that is so grave that can, can cause uh, death. 
so people are just afraid to speak about it. I, I then what I did is I called certain family members and I explained it to them and I said to them, I'm okay. I feel okay. I'm managing this. And I think that put them at ease. And so now we're mm-hmm. able to talk about it. And with my daughter, I only have one daughter. With my daughter, we have always spoken about life and death. And I mm-hmm. have always spoken to her about my own demise when that moment comes and how I want to manage it. So I think that she was better prepared. At least she was. Other family members needed a little bit of time, but but they came along as well. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's really great advice. And Heidi, it sounds like you're a very strong woman and and I admire you because I think that what you did, uh, appreciating every day at a time, um, finding your own support group, because just like Susan did, garnering that support group is so important. And then it sounds like you became a support of, for your family and helping them learn how to deal with your illness, which is a difficult one, but it sounds like you're navigating beautifully through it. And I really thank you for calling because I think sometimes it's difficult to, to talk about. But again, in this wonderful age um, where we do have social media, so when we are isolated, we can still reach out somewhat and not be as isolated. Um, there are ways to create that support system. The other thing I want to mention um, before I go to our next caller is that that Heidi um, pointed something out. Sometimes people are so afraid to talk about the difficult diagnosis because they don't know what to say. Um, But sometimes just being there, just saying, let me hold your hand. Let me talk to you. Tell me how your day is going. Heidi, was there any specific thing that you thought was helpful that people could say to you or was it just calling? I think that it was helpful if they acknowledged it and asked me how I was as opposed to ignoring me. Uh, being yeah. ignored yeah. at that moment in time was very hurtful. So I explained to them that I, I really wanted to hear from them and that they yeah. shouldn't be afraid. And so acknowledging it and not ignoring me was, was what worked for me. I think that is. So they don't have to have any, any great treatment, cure, or wonderful quip to give you just to say, I'm thinking about you. How are you? Right? Because we become invisible. We're, they're afraid to speak to us and we become invisible. And we don't need that at this moment in time. No, absolutely not. Heidi, this was so helpful. Thank you for calling in. We really appreciate you and good luck. Good luck and good health. Okay. Um, All right. Our last caller, Sue from Beaumont, is next. Hi, Sue. Hi. Thanks for calling. Well, thank you. Thanks for taking my call. I'd like to ask you a question. What what is the latest research think? My mother had breast cancer, so I'm, (laughs) I'm acutely interested in that. What's the latest research or thinking about what causes breast cancer? Is, is it something, the water we drink or the 
food we eat with a lot of chemicals in the food now? Or is it genetic? What what what's the latest thing on what causes breast breast cancer? Well, I am I am not up, completely up to date on um, the latest causes and all the research that's going on. And as you know, Sue, there's a ton of research going on, um, and. And I can try to bring that information back to you guys. But I will say that there's a lot of genetics that is involved. And that's why you you notice that Susan earlier mentioned um, her, her mother having breast cancer and having the genetic testing. I think it's not just the genetics of... Um, of getting breast cancer and being more likely to have breast cancer, but it's also genetics can, um, and the genetic testing can help direct treatment. So there's a lot of great information. And I know our Friday show, the women's show often, um, has information on that. That'd be a good show to call in and and talk to our our docs on on our Friday Woman show about that. But I hope that was helpful. Um, I know we're ending uh, coming to the end of our show, and I want to thank Susan so much for calling in and and being being such a wonderful help. Um, to the show. I think you gave a lot of information, Susan, and we just wish you good luck in your treatment, good health, hope all goes well. Thank you. I appreciate it. All right. Um, and I want to remind everybody just a couple of quick reminders about um, when you get bad news, give yourself time to absorb the news, but then act on it. Do something to help yourself. Create your support system. Reach out to friends and family. Let them know what's going on. And just like Heidi in Tennessee said, tell them that you want them to call and check on you. You do not want to be invisible. You need their help. And then educate yourself and make sure that you know that you're getting the best treatment than you that you possibly can. Um, make sure that that um, if you need a second opinion, feel confident in asking for that. It's okay, and it's not an insult an insult to the doctor that you respect. It just tells you that you're trying to ed- educate yourself all the way through your diagnosis. All right, everybody, if you would like to hear this show again or any past episodes, you can listen to the podcast on your favorite podcast app by searching Southern Remedy, Relatively Speaking. This show is a production of MPB Think Radio, and it's engineered by my producer, Michelle McAdoo. I'm Dr. Susan Buttress, and I hope you'll join us next Tuesday at 11 for Relatively Speaking, and that you'll stay tuned for NPR's here and now, coming up next on NPB Think Radio.